Hello, everybody, and welcome to the one-year episode of the Mountain Man Dan Show, a month late. Nick, <laughs> damn it! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Nick, what do you think of that? Uh, we suck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's there's an ongoing joke. There's another podcast with a group of guys I used to shoot with. It's called, it used to be called the Make Ready Podcast, and then they had some conflict with that name. I think it's called like the uh, the Perfect Double Cop Podcast or something like. Now it's strictly about USPSA, right? <laughs> and yeah, they have an they have a, a running joke that they are the uh, go the longest amount of time between episodes. But we we've come pretty close a couple times. We've had some pretty big. Di- uh, gaps between episodes here and there yeah you know when you have a full-time job it kind of happens yeah it kind of does but you know we're still trying to get something out i think winter works out a little better when both of us are kind of slowing down you know up here in the summer it's 24 7 you know go 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 but um right yeah july 3rd 2019 we uh we published the first episode of the mountain man dan show and here we are july uh, august 2nd 2020 with uh we're gonna call this the one year episode the one year anniversary episode nice so i think the show is cut i was listening back to them to some uh, past episodes here in the last couple weeks and i I think the show has come a fair way since our first couple episodes yeah it has it has um i think it's just because me and you are both weird and we like weird stuff so it stuff we do turns out a little different from everybody else there's only one kind of gun to like, and that's the weird ones. So the ones that everybody else has. I mean, the AR-15s and all that kind of stuff are cool, but I like weird guns. Yeah, it's like that Parker, Wyoming 10 millimeter. I, I've been looking at on arms list, and there's another guy with a Thompson Contender Super 1445 410. It's like, you know, I see stuff like that, and I and the first thing I wonder genuinely is, can Robert Simply Rugged make a holster for it? Right. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm sure Rob can make a holster for just about anything. You give him enough measurements, or even send him the gun. But so, speaking of holsters, what are we carrying today? I'm carrying a Ruger 1911. What about you? I'm also carrying a Ruger, although of a slightly different variety. I am carrying a Ruger Vaquero and an absolutely gorgeous, simply rugged uh, shootist holster. <clears throat> nice, nice. Yeah, I got a four and five eighths inch Vaquero on my hip uh, with some of my Keith Memorial Load forty five Colts. Yeah, I got um, <laughs> I have not ordered a shootist for mine yet, so I'm carrying mine in a crossbreed, <laughs> but oh. it's uh, loaded Black oh. Hills. Yeah, 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 I have time, man. So this is this has been my life for the past four weeks. All right. So I buy a duster, and then I decide to buy another duster, and then I buy an engine and a transmission, and then my van starts having issues, issues to where I'm wondering if I'll be able to drive it every day. So then I sell both of the dusters and everything, and admittedly make a fairly large profit, and then I buy a Honda. Well, the Honda needs everything. So my life lately has been, I'm a mechanic, even when I'm not at work, and it kind of sucks. But it's gonna. Um, I have picked up some stuff though. I mean, I, uh, I got that 1911, and I got this. Uh, actually, it was a gift from my dad. I, I walked into the local uh, shop out here and spotted this 
really clean Egyptian Mahdi Cadet One, which is just a Hell One nine millimeter. It's just under another name. It's, it's a licensed copy of a Beretta 1951, you know, single stack nine, and it was stupidly cheap. But I'm like, yeah, you know, I've been in car mode lately. And then my dad's like, hey, look what I got for you. I'm like, oh man, sweet. So I've got that, and it's sitting beside my infield on the table. It actually shoots really well, but uh, Michael Tinker Pierce told me, said to avoid plus P and hot ammo. It only takes one or two rounds, and it will completely destroy the gun. So uh, ball only for it or non, non-plus P hollow points if it'll feed hollow points, which I don't think it will. Um, yeah, I've, I've, never, I've never personally messed with one of those. I think it's, I think it's a little funny. I've picked up a couple new guns since the last episode as well. And the last episode we did, we got together and we just bullshitted for a couple minutes about um, uh, a couple cars we were working on. You had the Duster, and I picked up that little Jetta TDI. And I think it's funny, you sold the Duster. And I also decided that I didn't have the time or the money to, or, or not the money wasn't the issue, but I didn't have the time or the patience <clears throat> to try to sort out some issues that Jetta was having. So it right. had also been moved down the road. You know what the easiest way to fix a Volkswagen is? Sell it. Trade it for something else. But uh, Yeah. Well, Michael, I bought that one. I knew it had some issues. I bought it. I should know better. I bought it from a mechanic. And I should know better than that because I work as a mechanic here and there. You know, it's not yeah. how they treat this. So. Like, we don't care. <laughs> yeah. So I started finding some issues with it. Okay, cool. I'm, uh, I knew it had a turbo issue when I bought it. I got that figured out. I found a couple other little things i got those sorted out and then as soon as i got that engine running at full power boom it, it uh, jumped time so that means I, you did pulled, a good job it made so much horsepower it couldn't stay together right yeah so i pulled the timing cover off and the timing belt like literally had like three inches of slack and i was able to lift it and pull it off of the off of the idlers and the guy had bought it from someone. He just recently did the timing belt. We're not going to go into that. I'll start saying some nasty four-letter words about the guy. But anyway, so long story short, new timing belt, new idler, new – I didn't change the water pump, but I changed the, the tensioner and the timing belt and all that. So during the time that it sat, it sat for about two, three weeks while I was waiting for parts to come in, the battery decided to die. So mm. I get it all put back together. I get it retimed. If you've ever – had to redo the timing on a Volkswagen. It is a pain. Uh, I would never do one again that was like lost time. If I had to change the timing button, you could make your own timing marks and stuff. That's one thing. But they don't have timing marks like we're used to, like these Hondas and stuff. They're a pain in the butt to time from, from nothing. Yes, they are. Any, anyway, I got it. I got it all. I had it running really good. I advanced the fuel pump just a little bit. I had it running wonderful. And I charged the batteries up, and I headed into town, and the transmission started doing this weird thing where it went. They put it in drive, and it would just go straight to third and would not leave third. If you shifted it manually, one, two, three, it would shift up to three just fine. And then it wouldn't go into overdrive. And I said, you know what? Screw this thing. I'm just, I'm just, I don't have the time to mess with it right now. And I stuck it on Craigslist for, I forget what that is, like 600 bucks. Guy called me. Hey, hey, I want that car. So we make a deal. Side on scene, he's like, yeah, I'll take the car. I needed, I had to haul it two hours for him. Like we come up with a little bonus cash for the gas and all that. And I went to go haul it the two hours. I get up there and get, long story short, I ended up wasting about six hours of my time. I didn't buy the car. So at this point, I'm pissed off. So I go over this. I know where they hold this car meet every 
every Friday. So, you know, I'm going to send you over to where I have that card made out and just see if, you know, I'll just put 600 bucks on the trailer and see if I can sell it. So I go over there and a couple kids are kind of hemming and hawing and interested in it. And one of them asked me if I was interested in any trades. And um, I said, yeah. I was like, what do you got? And he's like, well, I've got some guns. And uh, my interest, you know, like, ooh, what do you got? So I followed, I jumped, uh, I jumped in the car. We followed him over to his house. And he pulled out a couple of guns. He pulled out a, there was an AK-47. There was a Mossberg pump action shotgun. There was like some goofy, it was like a, Remington 720, I don't even remember what it was, but there was like a 270 bolt rifle. And then there was a, uh, the one I ended up with, when I got it here in my hand, a 1902 Colt Model P. And nice. you've seen pictures. I believe I've sent you pictures of this one. You did? But, um, yeah. Uh, very complete, very nice, other than the fact that um, somewhere down the line, and I was doing some research and a lot of reading and looking at a lot of pictures, and I think it was probably done, um, you know, Elmer Keith talked about having guns worked on by Christie Gunworks back in the 30s and 40s. Right. And I think that's who did the work on this one because the, the milling on the top of the, the top of the top strap looks very similar to all the pictures I was able to find of their work. So, um, so yeah, it's a very nice condition other than the fact that the front sight's been, it w- was missing and you can see where it looks like it was sanded and I had had a front sight soldered on it at one point right and the back strap or the top i'm sorry the top strap is milled flat on the back and there was two little holes drilled in it very odd hole spacing it was like 683 685 i think what it was 0.685 so anyway he pulled up that colt peacemaker that's the first and my eyes went straight to the straight to the colt and i was like what do you think that pistol's worth bud and he's like oh i don't know like 300 bucks (laughs) <laughs> like I tell you, what, you give me that Colt and three hundred bucks, and you can have that Volkswagen. And uh, he goes, I put the Colt in two hundred and fifty. And I was like, Yeah, sold, done. So <clears throat> I, I feel a little bad because, honest to God, I probably would have traded them straight across. But no, well, yeah. So I've, I've got a really nice uh, shootable, and that's the thing. You know, most of the time you see these these gold Colts and stuff, and they're they're you know collector guns and. It's so dang expensive. Even if I did get one, I wouldn't wouldn't shoot it. I mean, if it but, were mine, I'd, I'd just put sights on it, put a lanyard ring on it. It's got to have a lanyard ring on it. Set of nice stocks and have it parkerized, and I would just shoot the living crap out of it. Yep, I'm gonna I'm gonna get some different stocks for it. It's got like these cheesy 19. I'm sure the grips were probably put on it when uh whenever the modifications were done. But you remember those plastic fake stags that you saw in all the old? Were they uh, were they Ajax or uh, Franzites? <laughs> I think they're franzites. I pulled them off the other day, and I forget what what the numbers were on them. But um, hey, seriously, put them franzites up on uh, eBay. Those are actually worth. You could probably sell them for enough to buy real stags. People pay. I had a set of franzites for a 1911. I gave to a close friend of mine. But uh, yeah. yeah, those are kind of like the very. No- I know they're cheesy, but that's a very noir thing. Uh, that was right. what everybody put on everything. I have a friend that's got an old Colt pocket model with a set of Franzites on it, and he paid like 180 bucks for them. Yeah, I'll have to I'll have to do that once I get some. Better, I'm gonna wait till I get some better grip. But anyway, yeah. So then I was uh, I was posting some pictures of it on Facebook and Instagram and talking on a couple gun forums about it. And this guy sends me a message. And he's like, "Hey, I've got a set of the micro sites that Christie used back then." 
and he sends me a picture, and he had yeah, the proper rear micro sight and the front matching the front micro sight. Nice. And uh, I asked him how much he wanted for them. The sights are spotless. I mean, they look like they were just pulled out of the package. And uh, so, yeah, I gave him 100 bucks for the sight set, and they showed up yesterday. And I am ashamed to admit, um, I've soldered sights on guns before, but it's always been guns that were in the white. Right. So yeah, that acid, that acid will take bluing right off. Yeah, I didn't even, you know, there was a fair amount of the bluing missing off the end of the barrel anyway, on the top where they soldered a sight on there at one point. But yeah, you know, I just, so I did what I always do. You know, I heated the sight up, uh, flexed it, put a little solder on the sight, let it start cooling down, and I flexed the barrel and let it sit there. And then I'll clamp it on and reheat it and let the solder and, you know, do its whole nine yards. So that, that, um, that flux ran around the bottom of the barrel and it had a little drip mark where the bluing is missing off the tip of the barrel now. But it's not, not a real big deal to me because I am probably going to have this gun re-blued anyway, and I'm thinking about sending it to Bobby Tyler and having him case color it. I mean, that's and, fine, but I would just parkerize it and shoot the crap out of it, personally. That's just me. Yeah, that or all those, that or all those you know, this kind of cold blue the areas that, that are not very get you, get good. You some, uh, get you some Vans cold blue. Scrub the whole thing down with uh, white vinegar and uh, some steel wool, you know, and then just Vans cold blue that shit and dip it and pickle it in oil for about a week and wipe it down and assemble it. I've done that to a lot of old police trade-in Model 10s that were just rougher than a cob, you know, to keep them from rusting. Right. So, yeah, I'm going to... I'm a, I'm a little bit ashamed of having messed up that little bit of bluing on the end of the barrel, but like I said, the bluing's not in perfect shape on the gun anyway, so it's not the end of the world. But you know, I got it would little... be cool if you could find someone that can do the bluing like they used to do on the Rugers and purposely screw it up to where the thing just turns plum. Yeah, those old that Rugers are pretty cool. cool. But I like I like old plum Rugers. You know, a lot of people are it's stupid, but I actually had a Ruger P ninety four that had that bluing on the slide and it had turned purple. And I wish I'd have kept it. That was actually, it was a weird gun. It was a P94 DAO 40. It's a 40 yeah. caliber, double action only, single stack P-series Ruger that was like the Glock 19 sized uh, slide length. It was actually a cool gun. Yeah, so I got the, hang on, the Colt here. I got the, yeah, I got the uh, the rear sight mounted on it. it. Looks really nice on there. But I got a little disheartened after I uh, messed up that blood. When I saw that blue for that solder flux had run down on that end of the barrel yesterday. Got a little disheartened, so I never did finish mounting the front side. I'm probably going to do that tonight. But um, I have shot the gun. I just ran a few cylinders through it. I actually managed to, uh, even without sights, you know, these old Colts point so well. Um, I don't tell Rob I was point shooting, but I was, uh, you know, just point shooting and putting playing cards with it at 20 feet. Yeah, I think once you have the sights on it, you're going to be impressed how good that gun shoot. Personally, yeah, though, I'm always going to have it built. If you're going to spend the money, I'd have it sent to Jeff Alt over at Six Gun Magic because, well, just because. I'd say he's probably the best Colt builder in the country as far as single actions go, probably in the world. Because I, I guarantee yeah, I, it, no one shot him more than Bob Munden did. I mean, he he wore a lot of them out. Yeah, I, I'm going to do a little research if, if I end up sending it off. I mean, honestly, the gun is in very good shape. The only – thing is it does have a little bit of play in the cylinder and it walks up good tight to side, side to side but there's a little bit of play back and forth that's so. kind of normal for guns of that era i mean they will stretch a little bit as long as it's not like 
you know, a ton. If it's a, a couple thousands of in-play, that's fine. It's, it's Any enough, more than that, I'd probably be concerned. It's enough that I want to try to get it fixed. I mean, it, it probably shoots just fine. I mean, it does shoot just fine. But it, it's enough. I'm going to go ahead and try to get that fixed. So, um, so yeah, so I'm, I'm, just, I'm pretty excited. A lot of times it's just a sleeve. It's just a sleeve that slides into the cylinder. A lot that's, of times that's what wears out. Sometimes you can get away with just replacing that. I'm pretty sure that's all it is. I think the end of the sleeve just worn a little bit, and the cylinder just sliding back and forth on that sleeve. I'm just going to order an oversized sleeve for like from, from uh, Brownells or someplace and, and fit it to it, and I think it'll be just fine. Yeah, and those are pretty easy to fit. A little bit of emery cloth and some patience and oil, and you'll have it in no time. Yeah, and I actually, I've been looking at getting a lathe anyway, so. There you go. But, yeah, so I'm pretty excited about the old Peacemaker. Um, and then I picked up another gun, but let's talk about one of your guns first. We, we, uh, we talked about that Egyptian. Let's talk about that in 1911 a little bit. Oh, yeah, one of my friends uh, got it in on a trade and decided that he uh, – didn't like it he's not a 45 guy he's a nine guy once you shoot nine forever you get to where it's like i don't know you become a girl you at that point you just grow a ton, pony ponytail no. wearing a bra no no what it is is i mean i get it the nine millimeters have how do i put this they have faster follow-up shots they typically hold more rounds they're cheaper to shoot I totally get it. For for people that are... And for people who miss, you don't need more rounds if you hit. God, no. It's it's more for people that are... Uh, Two world wars, bro. Oh, shit. Here we go. You know, and if you can't get it done in seven rounds, you better hope that it doesn't jam. You hope yeah. you can actually get seven rounds out of it. You know, yeah. I love 1911s, but man, <laughs> I've had a lot of problems out of them, too. There's something to be said for guns that work. Um, you know, I don't know why I don't carry a Glock 21. I really don't. But, um, no, I mean, nine, nine guys are nine guys. And, you know, me and you, we kind of like big bore stuff. And I don't even really consider a 45 auto big bore. To me, it really doesn't really recoil any more than, uh, I don't know. I, I never really noticed the difference between it and a nine millimeter, to be truly honest. You know. I think it shoots a lot easier just because the 40 is so snappy, trying to get the extra velocity with the higher pressure. I think the 45, right. you know, I'm obviously a 45 guy. <laughs> and one of my arguments, and I know this is kind of goofy, but I always tell, <laughs> I like screwing with 9mm guys. There's nothing really wrong with the 9mm. Um, you know, uh, Phil Shoemaker was able to prove to us that the 9mm will take down very large grizzly bears with no problem. Um, but I, I'm a big board guy. And I'm like, one of my arguments I always like giving nine millimeter people crap about is, uh, you know, like my, you know, we got, we we're spending all this money on expanding bullets for the nine millimeter to get them to the size that my forty five starts out at. So my forty five, if it expands, it's just a bonus. Right. So hey, I need some advice on a rifle. Okay. There is a rifle on arms list. Uh, it for some reason this pandemic is bringing people out of the woodwork selling stuff that's cool. I guess because they want to buy ARs and whatever else to, you know, go fight against whatever. So um, there's a guy selling a Remington. It's, it's a what, – what model number is it? It's not a 700. What was that 270 you mentioned that kid had? A set, is it a 7? 
I want to say that I want to say that was a seven twenty one, but I can't remember for sure. It's like it was like it was like it wasn't the seven eighty eight. It was it was another one of those cheap Remingtons that had like the you know the cheap birch stock on it. Now what's a seven eighty eight? The seven eighty eight is only the best rifle Remington ever built. I think it's a seven eighty eight. So yeah, if it's if it's if it's a seven eighty eight, the seven eighty eight uh, is kind of an oddball. If you look at the bolt, you can identify them right off the bat. Um, they've got a removable magazine. If it does not have a magazine, uh, be prepared that those magazines cost like seventy five to one hundred and fifty bucks, depending on what caliber they're. they're ridiculous. Well, it's got iron sights and everything on it. It's okay. new in the box. So does it have like a really tall, slowly ramping up, goofy looking front sight? Yes. Okay. There's probably a 788. The 788, um, back in the day, was one of Remington's attempts at a budget rifle. And they were, they had this, like, they were, like, sheet metal magazines, uh, bottom metal and stuff. And then they had this really weird, it was a front locking bolt, but they had a, a series of, they had three rows of locking lugs that were three rows, had nine total locking lugs on the front of the bolt. And it was accidental. They were trying to build a budget rifle. It was probably one of the most accurate rifles Remington has ever built. Um, I've had three of them. I had one 223, 22250, and I had a 308. And I tell you what, they don't come up for sale for very often that anytime if I ever saw another one now that I'm making a little better money I would buy them I absolutely love no, no, them you're, you're probably going to want to buy this one probably what is it uh, you guess what guess what it's chambered in uh, they were all the common prop but good knowing you it's probably something weird 35 Remington it is got, it does have 3.5 in it you're very close 358 Winchester Come down a little bit. Come down. Three fifty-seven Magnum. No, it's a three fifty Magnum. It's probably not a seven eighty-eight if it's a three fifty Remington. Then. Hmm. Um. The seven eighty-eight was. Uh, I think they built some long action ones, but they were mostly. Um. Three hundred win mags, probably. No, they. I think they built some in. Uh, I'm trying to get back into my wife's computer. I'm using her computer to look things up on the internet. And it just, I know I've seen one in seven mil before. I'm not. I'm trying to get. Hey, Amanda, can you come unlock this computer? <laughs> Sorry, we're having some technical issues. Stand by. I apparently have locked myself out of this computer and don't know how to turn it back on. There we go. Okay, Remington. 788. Let's Google that first. The 788 was well, a center fire, blah, 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 blah. Center fire made from 1967 to 1983. The market is an inexpensive yet accurate hunting rifle to compete with the other gun companies, less expensive rifles alongside their more expensive Model 700. Single column detachable box magazine holding three rounds. They were the 22 rimfire version known as the 580. Um, cartridges. It was offered in a 222, 223, 22, 
Huh. So it was all short action cartridges on the 788. Now let's Google the 350 Remington Magnum. 350. So I think it was mostly built on the 700. Um, Model 600. It's not a Mohawk, is it? No, I don't think so. The 350 Remington Magnum was introduced in 1965 by Remington Arms Company for the Model 600 rifle. It was later offered in the Model 660 and Remington Model 700. It might just be a 700. Yeah, the Model the model 600, Remington Model 600, I think was what was also known as the Mohawk. And they were kind of a goopy looking gun, too. They got like a really weird dog leg bolt. So what's a 350 Magnum? What what What's the... Um, that it's a little bit shorter case. It's a belted magnum, so it's going to be based off of basically the same case as your 338, but I think it's just a hair shorter. So it's a 375 H&H parent case? Yes. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, look up the Remington Model 600. You you will know if that rifle the Model 600. Just look at the bolt. That's one of the goofiest bolts ever i've ever seen on a rifle it's called I, I, they're, I think they're also known as the mohawk my dad has one in six millimeter remington um but six I, millimeter remington is a cool cartridge yeah it is i've never really been able to become attached to the model 600 just because of that goofy looking bolt right yeah it's got like the like you know yeah it's it's just it's just goofy looking it's got this really it's a very pronounced dog leg in it to bring the bolt handle forward closer to the trigger, and it's just very odd looking. So the 350 Remington Magnum, um, let's see, Remington Magnum parent case. It should be, yeah, the 375 H&H, it's all, um, they're all based, so it's the same as the 7mm Remington Magnum, just next up. Okay. Yep. And then, so I had a, for a long time when I was a kid, and I really missed the rifle. My uncle has it now, and I've been trying to convince him to sell it back to me, and he won't. I had a 1903 uh, Springfield, which is my favorite rifle action ever, and a 350 Norma Magnum. And, you know, mm-hmm. ballistically, so the 350 Norma Magnum is a 338 Winchester next up to 350, you know, 35 caliber, and your 350 Remington is a seven millimeter case next up to 35 caliber. So they're basically twins, and um, I really like that rifle. Had a beautiful chunk of wood on it, really nice bluing. Um, I think I had like a Weaver, that's a small Weaver, uh, nice rifle. Um, <clears throat> We were out. We were out caribou hunting out at um out by Paxson. Man, I must have been about fourteen or fifteen years old. And we were sitting there, sitting under this tree, watching down the pipeline right away, watching for caribou to cross. And this uh, this cross fox walks right between me and my dad, and keeps going. He gets out there about twenty yards or so. And my dad had this little twenty-two. Uh, I told you about my dad's 22 CCM pistol before that Ruger single six he had converted to center fire. Yeah. So he pulled that out of his holster. My dad 
always has a coyote call around his neck. I don't care. Middle of the summer, man always had a coyote call around his neck. So he pulls up his coyote call and gives a gives a little squeak off of it. And that cross fox turned around, laid his ears back, his eyes looked like demons, and he came straight at us. And uh, my, my dad snapped off that 22 feet, that 22 CCM, and it misfired twice. And uh, at about five and a half foot away, I put a 350 normal magnum right through the middle of a fox, you know, from the hip, and uh, nice. turned him inside out. And uh, then uh, my mom actually made a hat out of him. I had the hat for a long time. I don't know whatever happened to it, but it was a uh, well, it was a pretty shitty hat with holes all in it. Yeah, you know, by the time we stitched <laughs> it all back together, it was it, it was all right. But yeah, it was. <laughs> I was I was pretty sure that fox was gonna was gonna come back and bite us. I mean, it was I've never I've never seen that kind of look in a critter's eyes before or after. Mm. So. Right. <laughs> oh, the stories you tell. <laughs> yeah, that was yeah, that was. Yeah, I had been about fourteen or fifteen, so that was about thirteen, fourteen years ago. It was that was a good time. I'm sure it was. That was probably a real party. I'll have to see. I'll have to see if I can get a hold of my uncle and have him get me a picture of that rifle. I don't think I have any pictures of it anymore, but it was a gorgeous rifle. Um, yeah, I've kind of decided that I'm gonna have to wait a while on a double rifle. They're just too expensive. So, you know, my buddy uh, and, Leonard. I think that one of my buddy Leonard selling. Well, when I say I want to buy a rifle, I mean you know something seven hundred and fifty to fifteen hundred bucks is uh, okay. Any more than that, I'm out. But like, um, you know, CZ killed the CZ 550, and so that mm-hmm. also kills the Bruno 605. Um, yeah, so I really, think- the only options you have are the Winchester Model 70 Safari Grade, if you can get one, and either 375 H&H or 458 Win Mag. You know, my, so, uh, my, my neighbor has a Winchester Model 70 and 470 Capstick. Now, that was probably converted, right? Uh, yeah, I don't think the capstick was ever offered as a uh, factory cartridge. Yeah, I've been kind of considering just finding a large ring Mauser and having it rebarreled to like a 470 capstick or a 404 Jeffrey or something like a, that. I've got another friend, a 470 capstick rifle cartridge based by yada yada. Uh, 375 h Magnum blown out straight. To accept a 475 diameter bullet, where with a 500 grain bullet can exceed 2400 foot per second from a 26 inch barrel. I like how that sounds. I mean, it's essentially a 470 Nitro Express <laughs> style cartridge for a bolt gun. You see that? Uh, do you see that? That did I send you that picture of that railroad tie plate I shot with my 458 the other day? I did. I did. <laughs> so I've. I've got a pile of right railroad type plates. I use them for steel plates. I've shot them with everything. They are hard. They're durable. They hold up really good as steel targets. I've never had anything blow a hole through one like that before. That's the first time I've shot one with a 458, but I've shot one. I've got one out here that's got some pretty good dents in it from a 338, but I've never had anything blow a hole through one like that before. Yeah, I mean, they, they did go after a lot of elephants at 458, so they they well, kind of that was Winchester's, you know, uh, and I forget why it didn't really reach the uh, expectations they wanted. Well, that what, was... what it was is 
in the 1950s, the main manufacturer of all of your Nitro Express ammunition called Kynock, spelled K-Y-N-O-C-H, Kynock, they were going out of business. This is kind of like remnants of World War II and everything, and the economy was just tanked from that. So they ended up going out of business for a while. And it pretty much rendered a lot of the British guns, you know, pretty much useless. You know, Kynock was the only manufacturer of things like 450, 400 Nitro, 450, 470, uh, 404 uh, Jeffrey, 500 Jeffrey, stuff like that. Your 257 uh, stuff. And I can't what cartridge that was like 250 or was it a two something H and H? There was a. Frederick uh, Zealous used one in a, a little Holland and Holland single shot. I can't remember what it was. I'm more versed on the big bore stuff, but your 577 Nitro, you know, all that stuff pretty much went away because of that. So the Winchester Arms Company decided to come up with the 458 Winchester Magnum right, to kind of fill this void, and it was really successful. In the 1950s and the 60s, it was – it was successful because it was the only game in town. If you wanted anything more than a 375 H&H, uh, that was kind of your thing. Now, I don't know if Africa had the cartridge restrictions that they have now back then. I mean, there were a lot of people. I mean, Roosevelt himself, the first time he went on safari, he took a 30-06. Right. And they told him that that wasn't enough. Um, yeah. And the second time around, he took a uh, 405 Winchester. But... But yeah, the 458's great. There's nothing wrong with it. Now they there was a claim that said that it wasn't always effective on elephants and things like that. But what it actually was, it wasn't the cartridge and it wasn't the rifles. It was actually a batch of ammunition. I did a lot of research into that. Um, right. It was actually I want to say it was Remington ammunition. 458 Wim Mag, and it was they can't really figure out if it was loaded a little too light or if it was a bullet instability problem, but it was a run of ammunition. What people have to understand is a small run of ammunition for cartridges like this is a big deal. If you load 50 577 Nitro Express cartridges wrong, you're going to see shit all over the internet about it because that's literally 50 rounds is probably all that's in circulation in Europe for that cartridge. People don't buy a thousand rounds of 577 Nitro Express. If you do, please send us an email. You are my hero and we need to have a drink. But, um, <laughs> you know, typically when people buy ammo for stuff like that, it's a box, if that, to cite it in, and then a box for Safari. That's it. People aren't going right. and burning a thousand rounds a year out of these rifles. So the when they run a bad batch of 458s, it was probably 500 to 1,000 rounds of faulty ammunition which was enough to plague it, you know, for five or six years. And unfortunately it gave it this reputation of being an, you know, impotent, uh, dangerous game stopper. And then that's kind of what made the 458 lot come about, which I guess was kind of a good thing because 458 lots badass, And it's great that we have that, but there's nothing wrong with a 458 win mag. Right. There's not, there's nothing wrong with that cartridge. I mean, there's a reason that people are making doubles for it. There's a reason that there's single shots made for it, you know, just other than bolt guns. Um, I mean, hell, you can have uh, 
SSK Industries builds you up a uh, Thompson Encore pistol M458 Win Mag if you just hate yourself that much. Right. So actually, I'm, I'm just reading this up real quick. Sorry to cut you off. Um, so Jack Watt was one of the ones that didn't like the performance issues with, that they were yep. having with the 458. Um, and it was because Winchester originally loaded the cartridge with a ball power that required compression to fit it up in the 458 case. Uh, right. However, with compressed powder take during time causing erratic burn and sometimes failures to fire. Mm. By that 1970, makes yeah, by 1970, Winchester it fixed the issue. Um, and here's some others. Well, the design specification called for a 510 grain bullet at 2150 to a 26 inch barrel, 100 water lighter, handier, faster swinging rifle or gravitated. Towards shorter sporter barrels, length is 18 and 24 inches became a norm when hardly any rifle manufacturing producing 450 or 458 rifles barrels greater than 24 inch. Shorter barrels, as expected, produce reduced performance levels. Blah 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 blah. Chronograph velocity fell to between 2050 and 1850 foot per second. Um, however, mm. the cartridges were blamed for the loss not the guns and Winchester was accused of overstating the cartridge's performance. Interesting. Yeah. Due to the negative negative publicity, Winchester increased in performance with the 458 Winchester Magnum, which allowed the 500 grain bullet to achieve 2,240 foot per second. While Winchester, like most blah blah blah, Winchester 458 Winchester Magnum ammunition manufacturers except Norma, continued the state velocity achieved from the 26 inch barrel. The velocity from a 24-inch barrel is in keeping with the original expectations of the cartridge. So that was like that's why, you know, like if you look right here, I got a chart right here that shows the 350 grain um, velocities. Right. And that's a 2,500 foot per second with a 350 grain from a 26-inch uh, barrel. And my Remington has a 24-inch barrel, and I'm pushing closer to 2,750. But I'm hand loading, and I'm you know I know the rifle will handle it, so I'm pushing them out of there pretty hard. Honestly, though, if you're not going to hand load for one, and you're just using off shelf ammo, I still say you're better off with a forty five seventy. But that's just me. You know, I have no reason. There's nothing here in Alaska that's a four fifty eight, or I should take this. There's nothing here in Alaska that the forty five seventy won't handle just as well as the four fifty eight. I just happen to get a really good deal on the rifle, and I like the rifle. Right. You know, honestly, I may, I need, in, I may need to trade you out of that thing. I'm probably going to try to blast a moose with it this year, but honestly, I've thought about selling it a couple of times because if I'm going to be downright honest. If I was in thick brush, especially being a left-handed shooter, if I was in thick brush and going after big bear, I would rather have a short, Lever action forty five seventy because it's easier to handle and it holds more ammo. Yeah, I can't. But I do like that. Four, I do like that four fifty eight. It's a it's a it's a fun. There's just a lot of wow factor, you know. And I I enjoy the heck out. Of, you know, we'll be having a barbecue after work or something. I'll pull that. I've almost always got that gun in the truck. I'll pull it in a box of cartridges out of the truck and let people shoot it. And there's a certain amount of wow factor about watching somebody shoot a 458 first how time. Many, you know, how many did. rounds do you think you put through it? Oh, I've probably put, since I've had it, I've probably put 100 rounds through it. It's not bad. 
No, I carry it. And <laughs> believe it or not, I carry 50 rounds of ammo in the truck just because, you know, um, it may be a little more than that because when I first got it, I probably fired 50 rounds working up some loads. It, it may be closer to 200 rounds to it, but I've, had, you know, I've only had it for a little over a year. And it's not something like, you know, I talk about how much I shoot my 44 mag and stuff. The 458 is not something I shoot on a daily basis. It is fun to shoot. It's a cool gun. It's got a lot of wow facts when you bring it out and let a crowd shoot it. But, you know, most people, one or two shots and they're done. Right. It's not something that, you know, you run 15, <clears throat> 20 rounds through. Or, like I hand somebody my 44 mag, you let them shoot. They'll usually empty the cylinder. Usually, usually one shot with the 458 and they're done with it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's so. kind of the typical response to those kind of cartridges. And, and I might be a little more skimpy on how many rounds I let people shoot just because that makes, you know, if I was buying factory ammo, I wouldn't let anybody shoot it unless they wanted to pay for the cartridge. But, you know, even hand loading, it cost me about a dollar a round to load it. Good God. Maybe even a little more, maybe a buck 25, depending on what bullets I'm using. Wow. Let's see. There's powder for that thing, about 32 bucks a pound up here. I get it. I have 75 grains of powder. That's less than 100 rounds per pound of powder, plus the cost of the projectiles. Yeah, it, it, it's over a buck around to shoot it. Mm. But it, it, it is a fun gun to shoot. wonder what it costs to reload a 577 Nitro. Uh, 577 Nitro bullets. Let's find out. Five. God, the cases are probably astronomical. Just the bullets, I'm sure. Uh, Woodway bullets for the 577 Nitro Express, 750 grain. From Midway, $2.12 a piece, just for the projectile. Good God. Versus the Hornady. Um, <clears throat> uh, 458-500. Hornetties that I shoot out of the 458. I don't always, I don't always shoot the uh, 500 grain dangerous games. They're a dollar twenty cents a bullet. Hmm. But um, a lot of times I just shoot like you know 400 grain flat and those 4570 bullets out of it. Can't so, say I blame you. Yeah, and here's uh, <laughs> factory ammo for Midway is six dollars a round. For what? For 458. Oh, wow. That's so, scary. Let's see if they have 577 Nitro. I All doubt right. it. About the only people that ever carry it's Graf and Sons. Let's see. They got the bullets. They've got the. So the brass. <laughs> the brass itself is um, $6.75 a piece. I hope the brass lasts a while. Yeah, so far I've had pretty good luck with the 450 SC 577 mm-hmm. Nitro. I think there's a gun shop in Fairbanks that has a couple boxes of six, uh, 577 Nitro SC choice ammunition. Hey, if you find some locally, let me know how much it is. I might send you some money to get me a box. I just want I'll a box. Just my, have. Um, have you, are you friends with my buddy Leonard Hansen on Facebook? I'm not. You should be. He um okay. he's the one that's selling that six hundred. I sent you those pictures of that six hundred Nitro Express double rifle a while back. Oh man, I'd love to have just one cartridge. 
he is the one that's selling that. He's got a bunch of ammo on, but yeah, he's he's real big into big boards. He's got two or three five oh five Gibbs rifles, couple man, he's got all kinds of big boards. Let's see. <laughs> five seventy seven from Choice Ammunition. Um they got a whole bunch of different uh from Victor Montana. They've got five seventy seven Nitro Express. With a 750 grain cutting edge uh, solid bullet, hand loaded. Guess how much for a box of 20? I'm gonna call it 600 bucks. 455 bucks for a box of that's 20. That's a good. Rounds. That's that's a really good price because 10 rounds of uh, Woodley solids is gonna run you about 450 bucks. I barely paid that much for the for the 458 rifle. Yeah, so, I know. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so yeah, so we talked about your 19. We, we ought to make a Gatlin gun chambered in 577 <laughs> Nitro. I've always, I've always wanted one of those old Gatlin guns in uh, 4570. I just always thought those were really cool. You know, I'm almost kind of thinking that for an African rifle, I kind of, <sighs> you're, people are going to think I'm weird for even saying this, but I really wish I could find me an old Ruger number one in 5090 Sharps. Dude, I I really like the the Ruger number ones and the fifty ninety sharps, and I wouldn't. Yeah, so uh, here's a square ammunition <laughs> box of five seven hundred nitro express three hundred and eighty two dollars for a box of five cartridges. That's probably all you'd ever want to shoot of seven hundred nitro express. You know what the three most common injuries resulting from shooting a seven hundred nitro express is? Huh. Broken teeth, broken collarbone, and detached retina. Dude, yeah. <laughs> that's wicked. <laughs> you yeah, know why this the, 700 even exists? Like genuinely? Somebody... No, I've never really researched it that much. Okay, so you have the 600 Nitro, right? Yeah. And... Um, this is a true story. This is no bullshit. You can call Holland and Holland and they'll tell you this. A man comes in to get a 600 Nitro Express, Holland and Holland, and says, I want this rifle and I'm going to pay this much for it, but it's going to be the last one you ever built. And being good British people like they are, they, they shook this guy's hand and that was a binding legal contract, just the handshake. So another man comes in. And this is, I think that was in the 80s, and says, I want a 600. And they said, well, we'd love to build you one, but we can't. We promised that guy we wouldn't build another one. And he said, fine, I want a 700 Nitro Express. And they're like, there's no such thing. And he's like, what if I come up with a cartridge? And he said, you come up with the cartridge, we'll come up with the rifle. Thus, the 700 Nitro Express was born. Now, the thing about 700s, there are very few in public hands. Um, That is typically something owned by an actual hunting outfit there's only uh-huh. been a couple of privately owned ones i've known about um because it's kind of a rifle i'm really into uh mark sullivan was one of them he was one of few people to privately own a 700 nitro express uh he right. had a 600 too um but yeah he had a 700 and anyone you talk to that had one they're brutal now when mark used to shoot his you you could see him shoot the 700 in a couple of his movies and he makes it look easy 
but I don't. Mark probably plinks in his backyard with a 577 Nitro Express at full house loads, and that is his his squirrel gun. So I don't really think it matters to him too much. I don't think uh, anyone living now has probably shot big bore doubles as much as he has. But yeah, the 700. Yeah. I'm surprised you don't own one. Then again, all the rifles are astronomically expensive for it. I honestly, if I had the money, I'd buy that 600 double that Leonard's selling. But you know, he wants, he wants, I think you say he wants eight well, grand for the rifle and two grand for the ammo and accessories he has. The the last thing I'll say on the subject, though, is as cool as 600s and 700s are, if I'm going bigger than a 577, I'm going from a rifle to a gun. And uh, what that means is, you know, for the viewers that are unversed in the ways of fine British uh, long weapons, um, a rifle is, as it is, uh, as the name says, it's, it's rifled. A gun is smoothbore. So you have double right. rifles and you have double guns. Now, there used to be uh, a lot of smoothbore, you know, double guns that were used on Safari. Uh, there were a lot of 12 gauges, 12 gauge magnums. Um, but my, you dad have, has a, my dad yeah. has a double barrel 12 gauge uh, rifled 12 gauge. There you go. Um, now you have eight bores. Uh, there was an 11 bore, a 10 bore. Uh, of course, you have the four and two bores, but the uh, four bore Magnum, if I was going to go anything bigger than a 577 Nitro, I'd go to a smooth bore four bore Magnum. You, you, you talk <laughs> about something that's just wicked. There was a custom one built a couple months back. And you'll notice on all these African rifles, they always have a, a certain animal engraved on them, whether it's a Cape Buffalo or a lion. This one had a T-Rex engraved on it. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So I just had a curiosity since I'm sitting here on Google. I just found um, a lot, 2,346 on um, uh, uh, Rock Island Auction Company. Okay. Is 50. 57 rounds of actual Holland and Holland 700 Nitro Express ammunition, and it sold for $4,888. That's actually a pretty good price because that's genuinely all you'll probably shoot of that in a lifetime. <clears throat> so, um, real quick, uh, before we – funny how we always say we're going to do like a 30, 40-minute episode, and here we are an hour into it. Yeah, we never um, do. I think we <laughs> – I think we should talk about the other gun I picked up here real quick. We didn't touch on the 1911 as much as I wanted, but maybe uh, maybe next episode or sometime we just need to do a, a, a strictly 1911 episode. We both know a fair amount about those. I'm good with that. So, um, uh, I think I showed you this other gun I picked up this week also. Um, so, the sad news is here, um, and it's been with us since the start of the podcast, I sold the tracker last week. Mm. Um, a co-worker of mine really wanted it, and he's been bugging me for it and bugging me for it and bugging me for it. And uh, I thought I said, all right, you know, it's, getting, it's starting to get a little loose after as much. That's not, you know, unshootable, but it start, I'm starting to notice it's a little looser than when it was new. And um, I broke a firing, uh, I broke the firing pin return spring on, and I had a really hard time finding a new one. I got it, got that fixed. I just like, all right, well, how much you give me for it? And he offered me five hundred bucks for it, which is more than I paid. So I went ahead and sold it to him, and I replaced it with a four-inch model uh, five eighty-six Smith and Wesson 
uh, no dash original my first year. Nice. Three digit serial number on this one. That's a good one. So, yeah, I've uh, I've been shooting it a bit lately. My uh, I had a little bit of factory three fifty seven ammo on hand, and I shot that up the other day. And then with this stupid virus and the riots and being an election year and oh no, oh my god, uh, reloading components are virtually uh, non-existent right now up here in Alaska. You know, yeah, not uh, to interrupt, but I literally have made kept my promise to you, and I have all my reloading crap. I literally can't reload anything right now because nothing is available. <laughs> yeah, and and Alaska is hoarders by nature. So it's even worse up here. I will say this, though. I think it's hilarious. Any podcast you listen to, any any YouTube channels you watch, any, re, you know, what's the, what's the, what's the end-all, say-all, do-all cartridge that everybody says you must have? You know, the big, we've, we've talked about it here on the show before, you know, more powerful than 44 Magnum. What's the cartridge that everybody says you must have in Alaska? Uh, typically. Come on, we're thinking handgun. Think Glock. Oh, ten millimeter. Ten millimeter. You walk into any store in Fairbanks right now, and every shelf is empty. There's no bullet. There's no primer. There's no powder. There's no ammo for anything except for ten millimeter. Every shop has a full stock of ten millimeter, and I think that's hilarious. Huh. I just, I just because everybody knows people that don't actually live here, they do. They know everybody in Alaska carries a ten millimeter. No, I don't know anybody that carries a ten millimeter. I don't know that anybody that here that actually even owns a ten millimeter. So yeah. it, it, it cracks me up. You know, all the out of out of staters that come up here every summer, they're, they're the ones using ten millimeter. But anyway, mm-hmm. yeah, so I got this five eighty six. Um and the only bullets I could find, I found two boxes of Spear 110 grain jacketed hollow points. So you can make them move. Yeah, that was my first. Like, oh, let's see how fast we can get these moving. And uh, case full of accurate number nine, the you know maximum amount. I'm not gonna give you guys a charge weight, but I don't need anybody. You know, don't try this at home, kids. Uh, you know, you're gonna be hand loading. You know, follow the reloading manual. 10% under your bomb, all that good stuff. Um, but anyway, case full of, H- of accurate arms number nine. I was able to get those moving just shy of 1,700 foot per second from a four-inch barrel. Yeah. With, you know, cases still just falling out of, you know, falling out of the cylinder. Um, I've <clears> never owned an L-Frame Smith before, except for I had that Model 69 for a short time. But I've never owned an L-Frame 357 before. And I was uh, pleasantly surprised how much beefier it is compared to a K-Frame. Oh, yeah, it's a lot um, I knew they put the, you know, the full lug barrel on them and they'd upgraded you know, the trigger and hammer and they did some different things to it. Um, I did not realize that the whole entire gun is actually significantly beefier than a K-frame, and I was, I was quite happy to see that. Um, also, the, so, heat yeah, treatment, so, the heat treatment's different, too. Right. So, um, yeah, so I was able to get those crews in it just, just under, I mean, it's a hair under 1,700 foot per second. I think the... I think the fastest one out of the batch I chronographed was, was like 1692. Right. So like just under 1700 mm-hmm. foot per second. Um, but I ended up, I bought the 357 because I got 44 mags. I want to load heavy and hot. I got my 44 mags. 
I bought the 357 basically because I wanted I wanted a model 15. I wanted a 38 special with adjustable sights on it. Right. But this uh, 586 came up, and I was like, well, you know, then I can I can have some harder rounds for it if I run into a bear or something. And you know, it's got adjustable sights, six shot, four inch. It was pretty much just what I was looking for. Um, and I got a pretty good deal on it. Uh, if you look at the model, you know, the 586s, especially a pre-dash, they are, you know, fairly hefty prices. This one looked about like new, um, very well taken care of, and I gave 600 bucks for it. So the no, price, the price was right. No, the price was right. Um, so I went ahead and picked it up. It, it, it shoots as well as I can hold it. It's more accurate than my Model 29 is. Um, I've been pretty happy with it. So we'll be talking about that. I think I'll be keeping this one around for a while. Um, I'm really hoping to get my hands on some heavy bullets, you know, 180 grain, maybe even a 200 grain bullet so I can work up, you know, some uh, Buffalo Bore Outdoorsman type loads for it. Yeah, that would, that, would, that would be the perfect gun to work up some old 3844 type. Yeah, you know, you know, honestly, yeah, um, I think the the end frames are just a little heavy for a 357, but I think that this gun will handle almost anything an end frame will, and you're not dealing with quite like this is actually a packable pistol, right? Know, without, I, mean, I don't mind an end frame or or a Red Hawk if I'm you know if I'm shooting a you know, a real cartridge like a four forty four Magnum or forty five Colt four fifty four or whatever. But when I think three fifty seven, I just want something a little lighter, a little easier to pack because generally I'm gonna carry a forty four Magnum. Also, I'm just gonna have this on me for small game and I'll have the forty four, you know, for self defense. Right. So um so yeah I'm pretty excited about that one. Um was there anything else else we were gonna talk about on this show? Um oh um, I believe we should probably say a word um, about Jeff Quinn. Yep. Yep. Uh, I'll go ahead and I'll go ahead and let you take this one, Nick. You're, what a, what you're a, better. A, yeah. What a tragic week it's been. Um, you know, anyone that knows anything about, well, anything to do with this industry knows about gunblast.com and, you know, Jeff and, Bojan them all started it how long ago it's it's been over a decade right i think they i think they started in like 1999 or 2000 it's been about 20 years right online you know it's just like a uh online you know gun rag long before they even did um you know the youtube stuff but yeah he had been sick a while and uh i mean he's been hanging in there for a year or two and yeah he just couldn't fight no more yeah he, uh, I, i'm not you know I'm, i've been friends with jeff on facebook for oh probably seven or eight years now um you know a lot of conversations with him about guns and shooting you know and just hell you know just life in general and uh, he was always a you know he was uh he was a man's man you know he was he was an honest you know honest guy you know he wasn't wasn't scared to tell you you know you know what he thought about stuff. You know, say you know, say how it is. Um, and you know, I, I'm sure to him, I was probably just another fan. I've always I've considered him a friend for a while. From my perspective, I'm sure to him, I was just another fan. But you know, I, I talked to the guy quite a bit, and it was it was sad to see him deteriorating the way he was. With you know, every you know, every everybody was a friend to him. He he didn't really view people as as fans, from what I've noticed. I, 
I, I was, I'm not gonna lie, you know, that, that guy was a tough old guy. He he hung out, he hung in there for a lot longer than I than I. Uh, and every time I was, you know, I'd, I'd hear, I'd see his wife post something else, and you know, say, "Oh, he's helping." They're like, "Man, I can't believe that guy's still with us," you know. And then, like when I picked up this Colt Peacemaker last week, you know, the first person was like, "Man, you know who's gonna know about that? Jeff Quinn's gonna know about that. I'm gonna have to go send him an email." And I did send him an email about it, you know, and that was the, the day before he passed away. And, you know, yeah, he's in the hospital again, but he's gotten out every other time. He'll be out next week talking guns with us again. And it was a little bit of a shock to see him actually actually lose the battle this time. Yeah, it's sad. So, um, he, he's going to be missed by a great – I know um, I know, I know. know Rob Rob Leahy went to the uh, memorial yesterday in uh, Tennessee. Yep. He so. did. Yeah, he did. Uh, yeah, so – I don't. I don't always name my guns. I've got a couple of guns around here that have names, just because um, you know they've got a little bit of significant value. So I've uh, I've decided to get, call this old peacemaker I picked up Jeff. That's cool. So I know. I know he liked the old Colts, you know, and he uh, he had several. He knew a lot about him. Yeah, but you know, just because you know, the guns, it's, it's 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 rugged and durable, and it's got a got a good story to tell. So it just it just it just seems fitting. Yeah, I think that is the right thing to do. So, but, um, yeah, other than that, it's been been pretty slow. I haven't been buying a whole lot of new guns here. I'm hoping, sitting here coming up for my birthday in two weeks, I'm hoping to pick up some, uh, I really wanted to get myself a new reloading press this year, a progressive reloader, but I'm not sure if that's going to happen. So, I might end up getting myself another, another gun. Yeah, everything's kind of weird right now. Better. Maybe I'll find a find myself a thirty two twenty revolver to go with my uh my little ninety two setting over there. Man, there you I go. love that gun. I love that gun. That thirty two twenty has definitely become a favorite. Yeah, I'm I'm kinda on the hunt for something else myself. I don't know what yet, but Yeah. I'm, I'm looking. I, I really want I mean the grill gun I've wanted forever. I've wanted a Smith and Wesson six twenty four forever. And I ran across one three yep. years ago and just didn't want to pay the price. And it was perfect. It was a three inch 624 stainless 44 special with stags on it. And it was 900 bucks. And I thought it was too expensive at the time. I should have bought it. <laughs> yeah, it's funny how uh, it feels like that pop up every now and then. And we kick ourselves. I'm like, man, that was a good deal. Like, I like the Model 29 and I like the 629, but the 624. It's like pretty much a Model 27. It's got the tapered barrel and, you know, all that. And But it's a 44 Special, so it's even lighter. And honestly, a, a modern 44 Special does about anything you want to do in North America. You know, it's it's plenty. Now, now you're starting to sound like Rob Leahy over here. I'm gonna, I'm starting to worry about you, Nick. Talking about 9mm. You're talking about 9mm being sufficient. Now you're talking about 44 Special. Well, I mean, I do occasionally carry a, a Beretta thirty thirty two Bobcat with uh, with uh, good old silver tips in it. I, I mean, I, I'm not a I'm not a complete cartridge snob. I mean, they have their place. I've got I've got a nine millimeter too. I've got a SD nine VE out in the truck in the glove box. That's just kind of the feeder. Uh, just because I've got so much nine millimeter ammo, I figured it'd be good to have one. Right. <clears throat> but 
I bet I could make a hefty sum putting all that uh, nine millimeter ammo I've got on Alaska list right now. I mean, people are desperate for this stuff. Like I said, Alaska is your hoarders by nature, but you you well, give that, them an actual that, that reason to hoard. A, right, that can be the last thing before we end this. I'm going to ask you: How long do you think that the ammo and gun shortage is going to last? Uh, it, it it depends on who gets elected this year. To be honest with you, I think if um you know if we get somebody that's fairly you know pro Second Amendment in, it'll start to taper out. You know, this virus isn't going to last forever. I hope. So I think that you know the virus is going to fizzle out, and you know as long as we get somebody in the White House that's that's fairly pro gun, I think that you know it'll, it'll go back to normal in a, in, a, in a year or two. You know, people are going to stop panic buying. You know. You know, I think after the election's over, I think the riots are going to probably, you know, simmer down. You know, the, I'm sure the virus is probably going to simmer down after the election, too. I'm not trying to get political here, but um, it seems to happen every election year where something like this comes up. Um, so I think it is kind of, if, on the other hand, if the, uh, I'm just going to flat out say if Joe Biden gets in, I wouldn't be surprised if we end up, <laughs> Uh, having a really bad time on our hands for a few years. Yep. Unfortunately. Old pedophile yeah. Biden. I will be political and say he's a piece of shit. I I'd hope no one thinks he should get elected. I'd take almost anybody but him. He's horrible. And guaranteed whatever VP he picks is going to suck just as bad as he does. I really hope he doesn't pick Hillary because if if he does, she, she, it's just, it's Hillary's going to be president. You know how how many people look how many people have been suicided over this uh, Epstein Island. If, if Hillary that, comes if, up, if Hillary comes up, I would just vote Voldemort for twenty twenty. Just be done with it. Yeah, I I, I don't I don't I don't want to make this show political, Mick. Let's let's go ahead and leave it leave it at that. But it's. Um, honest, honest opinion. I don't think the gun. I think I give it about another year. And I think the. I don't know that the prices will go back down to where they were pre, twenty twenty. But I, I think we will start to see you know ammo available again, reloading components available and whatnot. Yeah, you know, I really wish ammo manufacturers and stuff would kind of come up with ways to increase manufacturing to where this wouldn't be such a big deal. Yeah. That's... <sighs> Well, you know, it's and also the it, federal government needs to start rolling their own. They need to quit buying from these companies. They should just roll their own. <laughs> well, you know, and it, it, and it sucks because normally during something like this, you know, the uh, ammunition shortage starts to happen, and the reloading components start to shortage just starts to happen. Like right now, one of the big shortages right now is small pistol primers because everybody's buying nine millimeter ammo. Well, the ammunition manufacturers are also the same people who manufacture the primers. So they're that they're using more of the primers that they're manufacturing, making ammunition instead, because right. ammunition has a bigger profit margin. So we're not getting we're not getting uh, the supplies that we normally would because they're getting used by the manufacturers. So I think that you know, I think the ammunition buying if people were buying a little extra, but I think a lot of those components, reloading components, are going into manufacturing as well. So, I don't Makes know. It's, it's it's hard to say. I'm 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 hopeful that things will uh will clear up. But I'm down to 
an uncomfortable number of primers. I've still got, you know, 10 or 12,000 primers. That, that's not enough to really be comfortable with the amount that I shoot. And I have been shooting a little less just in case. Right. So, we'll anyway, see. Nick, I no, – go ahead. I said we'll see. We'll see how it yeah. all shakes out. Yeah, we'll see. All right, Nick, well, I'm going to go ahead and get this – I think we ought to probably get this episode wrapped up within an hour and ten minutes here. And All right, man. Yeah, so – it was, it was good talking with you. Everybody that's uh, tuning in and listening to the show, we appreciate everybody taking their time to tune in. If you ever have any questions, feel free to um, find me and Nick on either uh, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, you know, wherever you guys can find us at. You know, we're always open to, to you know, uh, questions. Um, I always appreciate feedback on the show. You know, let us know what you, what you think. You know, is there something that you think we could train to try to improve the quality of the show? We're always open to feedback like that. And, We really hope everybody's enjoying, and we will see you next time. See y'all later.